this is just going to become one of the ways we deliver education. Welcome to Mayo Clinic Educator Central, brought to you by the Learning Solutions Center at Mayo Clinic. I'm Stacy Kraft, an assistant professor of medical education and senior instructional designer at Mayo Clinic. This episode is the fourth installment of our special limited series, Co-Occurrence. This limited series features discussions on and adjacent to AI, in particular interest to this podcast, its intersection with the education, science, and development professions. In this series, we are focusing on conversations exploring AI and related technologies and their possible, probable, and actual impacts on education. From discussions around what we know, what we hope for, and what is happening concretely today, I really do hope this series can give you something to think about as well as some actionable takeaways. Virtual reality and augmented reality are among some of the most exciting technologies that are revolutionizing the innovation possibilities within our learning landscapes today. These cutting-edge technologies, VR and AR, along with rapidly changing and growing AI capabilities, are having transformative impacts on medical education, facilitating safe but challenging, authentic but customizable learning environments for learners. Today, we're going to take a closer look at one program here at Mayo Clinic College of Medicine and Science, the Physician Assistant Program and how these technologies are being expertly utilized to enliven and enhance learning experiences in an overall curriculum. Assistant Professor of Medical Education Ryan Kingsley is one of several faculty in the program creating exciting new learning experiences and ideating these futuristic technologies in the present with his courses. Ryan is a medical educator and hospitalist physician's assistant, as well as a fellow in the Mayo Clinic Academy of Education Excellence. He is a founding faculty member and co-director of evaluation at the Mayo Clinic PA program since 2020, where he leads the virtual reality curriculum. In addition to his clinical and educational roles at Mayo Clinic, he serves as director at large with the Minnesota Academy of PAs and helps other educators around the United States to effectively implement virtual reality in their programs. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, Stacey. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Super excited to have you here today. How did you get started incorporating VR into the PA program? I have to give credit to Mike Huckabee, uh, who was the program director and founder of the PA program here in Rochester. Uh, in 2020, I came on as faculty, and uh, we were just planning on starting with VR at that time. And he dropped me into a headset and had me experience a few scenarios. Immediately, I was... I was hooked. What was that experience like? Immersion, I guess, would be the word. When you strap in, it takes you to a different place. You just get engrossed in it. It might seem to some like, okay, you're putting the screen closer to your eyes and, and you know, you're blocking out things around you. Mm-hmm. But there's something about it that truly takes you into a different place. It's difficult, I think, to describe unless you've done it. It just puts you in that moment. So you got interested. You tried it out. You were like, wow, this is great then you were probably tasked with figuring out how we can actually use this in our program. So <laughs> how does yeah. how is it used in the program? Yeah, that, that sounds about right. So we face a lot of challenges up front. It's a developing technology. And so things are changing every six months to every year. And so you're constantly iterating and troubleshooting to implement it well. And so when we started, we were using off-the-shelf scenarios and we were creating 360 videos. Some of my colleagues in the program, Danielle Laughlin and Alan Brokenicki and others, Uh, created those scenarios. But we started 
just intuitively placing them in the curriculum where we thought they would make most sense. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a pulmonology block of instruction, it might make sense to do a pulmonology scenario, for example. And then over the years, we've gotten a little more rigorous with regard to the thought we put into where we place them. So I started off in a group of interested educators within our program. We're all interested in the same thing, trying to effectively implement VR. And so we use VR in 360 for experiential learning. So we put students into scenarios that are otherwise hard to duplicate before they're actually doing in a clinical scenario. So for example, in the operating room, they're watching simulated scrubbing happening and patients getting prepped. In a labor and delivery scenario, we have them sitting through a simulated labor and delivery, which is a unique experience that very few people get to experience before clinical rotations. And we're planning some other scenarios where we can look at emergency medicine scenarios. And it just gives people uh, an experience of being there and gives you some background to draw on when you're learning about these things. So that's one way we use them. Talk me through some of those scenarios, what they look like. Yeah, a specific example uh, we use every year is a patient presenting to the emergency department. Uh, They're an adult who have uh, chief complaint of fever and chills and uh, diarrhea, and you are put into the scenario with a virtual nurse standing next to you. they briefly describe to you why the patient's there, and then you present to the patient's bedside. It's It looks like an emergency department. It has all the things around you that you would expect to find. You navigate through menus and communicate with the patients, getting a history. You do a physical exam. You, know, you look in their eyes. You look in their mouth physically, and abnormalities are seen when you do that. You wow. listen to their lungs, and it shows you lungs, or you hear lung sounds. You listen to the heart. You hear the heart sounds. And then you uh, start a treatment plan and a diagnostic plan. So you communicate with your nursing team. You can communicate with other healthcare providers. Um, you update the patient as you go. You make sure they start an IV and they draw labs and you start fluids and you have to choose the fluids and you start antibiotics and you start imaging and you, you know, consult teams and you do all the things that a learner would do in the clinical environment in a headset. And you have a timer, a 20 minute timer to just work through that. You can build in guidelines that can pop up and you can get feedback and people can answer questions as they go. You determine disposition, you do it all. And then you do a structured debrief at the end. Now, a powerful thing about this particular software is that it's developing a capability to customize scenarios. And so an educator can build a a case just as they would for a simulation case, an in-person simulation case, and develop their own objectives, change what happens with the patient. They have dynamic uh, changes in their vital signs. So the things you do affect their hemodynamics. They affect the way they act, the way they feel. They have AI systems, so you can physically talk to it, and it'll talk to you in a way that's believable. It's really exciting. It truly is immersive the way that you've described that you're going to look down their throat and you're going to hear the breathing and, and you're going to experience that. It isn't just looking at it and touching objects in your your space. It also sounds like you're providing the opportunity for low risk experience. In real yeah. life, there'd be a lot on the line, but with the scenario, they're able yeah. to go through it all. And if they fail, because failure can be an important part of learning, right? Then it's okay because yeah. it was VR, right? <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And that, that's a huge benefit to VR. You take the risk out of what could be risky, especially in learning. So other scenarios you might think of are exactly right. You know, you can empower a learner to make decisions 
and they're entrusted to make those decisions completely, even sometimes without input from a preceptor or a safety back net. And they experience the consequences of those decisions without ever putting a patient at risk. So, so points they're getting to practice the pressure as well of making those decisions by themselves. A hundred percent. When we start using uh, patient simulations, we use a program called Oxford Medical Simulation for much of our VR learning. Consistently, what you'll find, is we do structured debriefs at the end of every, every scenario. And one of the things you constantly find is at the point we deliver it within our program, they have just received the foundational knowledge. So they've gone through a few weeks of training in that specific body system. And then we run them through simulation and it forces them to make those decisions that they haven't really been forced to address. So choosing your anticoagulation, they have to think about, oh, what dose do I order? And I know I'm supposed to give an antibiotic, but I'm not sure exactly which one or what dose. And it mimics the learning that happens when students first get into the clinical year but it does it much earlier and it does it with no risk. So you can debrief with students and talk about, yeah, what did everyone else experience that? Oh yeah, I didn't know what to do with that either. And you get to kind of use that as an additional learning point. So I think it consolidates learning at just the right moment uh, before they do in-person simulation and they do these more advanced, higher uh, fidelity simulations gives them a chance to practice those skills. Yeah. And it sounds like it's providing a really powerful formative learning moment for them where yeah. their unique gaps maybe are being revealed. And then you said you paired it with this debrief. So there's a community aspect too, right? Of, the, of mm -hmm. them talking with their peers and the facilitator, mm -hmm. the learning and kind of growing yeah. from that. So it's not yeah. just, here's your goggle, go off, do your exercise and you're yeah. done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's such a powerful technology because there's so many different ways you can do it. So, you know, you can run it asynchronous. So a student can do it at home by themselves. And we do that actually sometimes if it fits with your learning objectives. And that's where it comes curriculum design and, and really fleshing out your learning objectives and understanding the strengths and weaknesses of different modalities. You know, it's not, not just the VR itself, but it's, right, it's how do you structure the pre-material? How do you structure the debriefs? How is the grading going to happen? Is there even going to be grading? Really working all that out before you try to implement it will help you become successful. When it comes to these structured debriefs, yeah, you can do it a lot of different ways. My colleague, Mike Brunig, does this with advanced clinical therapeutics, where he does problem-based learning, and he uses simulation as an augmentation for that method. And I use it more in small groups with individual performance and group debriefs because at that phase of training, it seems to fit better. Uh, we do asynchronous uh, learning assignments, uh, pure experiential learning. There are a lot of different ways to, to do it for sure. Something I hear you touching on here, I don't know that you've said it explicitly, but mm -hmm. I'm gleaning it from what you're saying, is that virtual reality, and you, even you said AI earlier, these aren't just magic things that you just, I'm going to mm -hmm. buy this program, I'm going to get these goggles, and my curriculum is amazing suddenly. That, that it takes yeah. a lot of uh, effort and uh, human input about mm -hmm. education-based science sort of approaches on how to apply mm -hmm. that and leverage it to make it mm -hmm. really have all of the, the value that it can bring, right? Yeah. Sometimes VR might be perceived that way. You know, uh, I hesitate to compare this to PowerPoint or something like that, you know, but you can imagine, you know, this yeah. is before my time, but maybe when PowerPoint first came out, you know, maybe some people were talking about transitioning from their chalkboards to giving electronic presentations, and they may have had some of the same ideas, you know, and now it's such a, a established form of delivery of content that 
you know, there's really well-established norms for how to do that well. So when you look at virtual reality or augmented reality, ensuring that you are really thinking through pedagogical approach and making sure it's doing something that uh, is best done with VR. Uh, I think you have to be careful, uh, intentional about the way you implement it. You know, so for example, uh, medical knowledge isn't always the best objective to try to achieve through VR. Sometimes it is. An example might be anatomy. There are a lot of good anatomy, uh, virtual reality options and augmented reality options. But understanding the different generations of cephalosporins, I, I think most people would argue is probably not the best instructional objective for virtual reality. It just doesn't, putting somebody in VR probably doesn't make that better. And you mentioned VR and augmented reality. Is there a difference? Yeah, great question. There is. So virtual reality is... Com- what I would call complete immersion into a simulated reality through multi-sensory inputs. So vision is the first thing everybody thinks of, but also through hearing. Olfactory has even been tested. Haptics, so the sense of touch, this multi-sensory input, which takes you out of the external reality and as close as possible to being in the scenario. Now, when you think about augmented reality, yes, there is a component of projected reality, but it is within your lived experience of external reality. So the example is uh, if you've used a headset that has a a see-through capability where you can see your surroundings and then Mm -hmm. it maybe projects um, things on top of that, that would be augmented reality where it can project objects on the ground for example kind of like that pokemon go go game that was very big you know yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) exactly that's a great example yeah you talked about this immersion and and using Mm -hmm. all of the senses and Mm -hmm. obviously that probably brings a lot to the program that couldn't Mm -hmm. have existed without it you know what you're really touching on i think is that element of using technology to transform Mm -hmm. education as opposed to just Mm -hmm. repeat what has VR and augmented reality brought to this program that couldn't have existed without it and transformed that traditional curriculum? Uh, if I had to summarize it, uh, I think it would be two things. One is fun. I think it implements serious gaming or fun in the curriculum in a unique way that students mm. really seem to grab onto naturally. They just enjoy it. They ask for more. And it, it allows us to get higher order learning happening in a way that's fun and low uh, risk to those students, or essentially no risk. The other thing, learning involving higher order thinking is a really important component of our training for PAs before they transition to clinical year. And finding a way to do that in a way that is not too expensive and allows them to do that wherever they are, including if they're across the health system or if they're in the classroom or even if they're at home, allows us to more effectively enable that kind of learning. Yeah. And I would imagine that the fun element or the novelty aspect of it can help with learner fatigue as well, keeping them motivated, engaged, and being able to take learn more probably in a shorter amount of time than if you were just throwing them books and asking them to read scenarios and imagine scenarios, right? Absolutely. It's the kind of learning that one would expect when they come to Mayo Clinic. I kind of heard that learners really like it. They're asking for it. Do you have any information on how have the learner outcomes been impacted? Yeah, we are actively studying that now. Uh, It's an area of research that really needs to be developed. We know there are randomized controlled trials on learning outcomes and performance assessments in virtual reality compared to traditional norms. 
or even to tablet or screen-based delivery methods. And uh, they've been positive generally. Uh, however, you know, those studies are honestly underpowered. It needs to be studied some more. What we've seen anecdotally is that there is consolidation of knowledge happening and that we are exposing blind spots in students' knowledge. And it's enabling a nice mixture of individual performance assessments. So students are going through and we're seeing somebody who's really standing out as, you know, they could kind of get through some of our team-based work and some of our low stakes assessments took a lot of trouble with knowledge integration of putting it all together, of that reasoning. Uh, and that's an area where virtual patients, which is a unique kind of VR simulation, really stands out uh, in helping uh, learners. So we're finding that it allows us to assess those students and it allows students to really share their own performance experience before they're out there in clinic spread out uh, all over the health system. Well, you know, because we know that all these things you mentioned provide better outcomes, that when you give people more formative assessment experiences, when you give them more authentic learning environments to practice in, when they get to do those sort of higher order thinking activities and apply information and create stuff. We know they make learners learn better and deeper. So it stands to reason that obviously if you put them together in a package, it's going to do that. I'm really uh, excited to see the outcomes of that. So, of studies. Yeah. Um, what about disadvantages? So I think of two things, you know, sometimes side effects come into the discussion when we do a VR and if you've ever worn a VR headset, you've probably experienced at least some of them. You know, there can be some discomfort when wearing a headset, though that's improved dramatically over time, even just in the last three years, because the size and uh, weight of devices are going down. You can get discomfort uh, in the eyes. You can get eye strain. Uh, sometimes some changes in vision. Some people have reported headaches. I'll say it's it's been less than 5%, and they've all been mitigated by sitting. Sometimes people will get some vertigo uh, when they first use VR especially with movement, I'll have those students sit and then take a gradually uh, increasing approach to, you know, they'll, they'll use it for maybe five minutes and gradually increase their, their amount of, of use. And I've, I haven't had any students that couldn't use the device at all so far. I think that's something that can pretty easily be overcome. You haven't had any learners yet who've had any issues, but if you did come across a learner who maybe had some kind of thing that caused vertigo or dizziness that they, they couldn't overcome, it was maybe condition or something, um, what might you do to include them? Would they be watchers? Maybe that's how they would participate. I don't know. Yeah, that, that's a great question. When you think about uh, if there's a, a learner that has, uh, let's say, a medical condition that can mm -hmm. be overcome by some of the... Uh, methods I mentioned before. One thing you can do, the first thing we think about is putting them onto a screen. So we take, we reduce their immersion mm -hmm. by taking them out of the headset, but they can still experience much of the scenario and many gain many of the cognitive benefits of going through virtual simulation just on their computer. Mm. And uh, that's been pretty well studied and has been shown to be an effective method for learning. And so that would be my first go. If, as long as we're not, you know, talking about a learner that has, um, a, uh, you know, a disability or a condition that would preclude them from using their screen, that's, that's where I, I would go. I would have them participate as much as possible through that method. Taking them out and uh, having them be an observer in a scenario uh, would be possible, of course, but may take out much of the unique benefit of virtual simulation in that they're in the, the you know, proverbial driver's seat. You know, right. they're, they're, they're entrusted to make those decisions and to see the consequences of them. 
Do you see any issues with access? I think access is a really important discussion point because I would actually argue that use of virtual reality uh, increases access. Hmm. I would argue that virtual reality use actually increases access to simulation-like experiences. It democratizes access. Uh, In-person simulation is by its nature excellent at doing what it does, but can also be costly. And not every program or training program has access to in-person simulation centers or other uh, simulation experiences. So this provides a way to provide a relatively low cost uh, learning experience that does assess those higher order learning objectives. Thinking of clinical reasoning, thinking of knowledge integration, of uh, communication skills. All those are things that, you know, it doesn't replace in-person simulation, but it augments it in a way that can increase access, democratize access to high quality learning experiences. You know, the only thing we need are a headset, a subscription, and an internet connection. In in American training programs, I would argue all of those are are universally available. You know, I was thinking about also, you're mentioning the comparison between it and in-person. And mm-hmm. you also talked about in-person simulation happening later for folks mm-hmm. who are in your program. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're not getting that. They're getting this first and then that. The concept that they're going into it alone and that there aren't other people there to maybe judge their failure, they're going to debrief, but they get to like, mm-hmm. they debrief what they want, right? Like, so there, there isn't yeah. that maybe social anxiety element of that I imagine that may play a role sometimes in simulation at first. Yeah, it, it's a it's a safe place to practice. But, you know, another powerful part of this is it's all customizable, right? So you can, you can have multiplayer scenarios. So you can have multiple people in the same scenario experiencing the same thing and communicating and working through teams. You can deliver this, uh, you can think of like a popcorn style where you have one person in a scenario, a virtual scenario and others watching them on the screen and maybe, maybe doing, taking their own notes or providing input. You know, the I hadn't even thought about that. Different. I hadn't thought about multiple people. That's very interesting. What advice would you have for educators who are looking to explore VR in their education? Any tips you can start to get, get started? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're VR curious, um, I would encourage people to find a mentor or find uh, an expert that they can reach out to, to start thinking about curriculum design and to think about uh, specific modalities. There are a lot of solutions and opportunities out there with regard to specific programs and hardware and software, and it can be a lot to navigate, and it can be costly mistakes uh, if you're not careful about uh, how you proceed. So I would recommend reaching out to somebody that can give you some advice on how best to approach. Second, I would say, be very careful about your curricular design. Think about what is VR going to do that you can't already do. Implement it into your curriculum as such. Yeah, that's great advice. Seems like VR is really a wonderful fit for a physician's assistant program and probably a lot of medical stuff. Is there maybe other areas outside of med education that you think this would be applicable to? Ah, gosh, I'm thinking there's all kinds, like trade school maybe even. Yeah, absolutely. And it's been studied pretty well. Uh, engineering students, I think it's used, been used for onboarding training, uh, communication training. We, I've used it in the military uh, for complex task training. There are all sorts of areas that VR can be used in. I can't think of one that it wouldn't help in some way. And so this is just going to be a field that explodes. I think the technology seems to be mature enough that we're going to see rapid implementation across 
essentially every every field. It seems to be a technology that <clears throat> is just arriving at the point where it's really, really usable at the mm -hmm. end user point. It's been uh, leveraged for decades now, but really it's in seemingly niche uh, applications. And it's coming to the point where we're, I think we're going to see really rapid advancements, uh, not in just the technology, but in the way people employ the technology. And so even if you're not necessarily somebody who is super interested in VR, I think this is applicable for you anyway. And I think the reason is you're going to have learners that are used to using VR and, and AR, mm -hmm. and uh, you're going to have other educators that are familiar with this. This is just going to become one of the ways we deliver uh, education. And so we need to at least be become familiar with the concepts, what it can, what it can't do, what it does well, and what it doesn't do so well, uh, and be ready to, to embrace that technology or at least you know, manage it effectively. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today. It was wonderful. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate yeah. it. Today's podcast was edited by Jaquan Leonard. If you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or would like to send an email, contact us at edufi at mayo.edu.